No pressure. <laughs> Don't like your kid telling you not to screw it up. And then it's like, what, what does that mean? So um, I'm Dave's dad. We had a Christian bookstore. And uh, forever and ever, my name was Doug from Salem. I had no last name. And nobody needed to ask anything. My wife's name was Doug's wife. And these were Doug's kids. So it's really fun for me to go to a place where I'm Dave's dad. It's like, yeah, I like that. So uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Um, one of the things that happened in early December is we had these little epiphanies in life at this stage in life. And I went to the doctor, and she's very nice. She's very politically correct. She knows how to say all these things. And she basically said to me, at your age now, because you're old, you need the flu shot. Now, she didn't say it that way because I would have been offended. But she said, did you get a flu shot? I said, no, I didn't get a flu shot. When was the last time you had a flu shot? Well, the kids were little. Well, that was a while ago, I'll tell you. So she said, well, now, sir, um, as you're progressing or whatever, all this blah, 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 what she's saying is, you are now freaking old. And I know it because this year, oh, happy birthday, I got the little papers signing me up for the old age pension. So it's certified I'm old. But here's the deal. One of the things that happens is I have my little bottle of hot water and lemon and honey because if you get this 90-day cough, I have six days left when it's supposed to be gone. And apparently, that has something to do with, well, at that age, it takes a little while to recover. No, we're not talking a little while to recover. We're talking about, wow, I think we're going to be going home to heaven with still the same cough. So if I cough and if I look like I'm passing out, just ignore me. I get the most amazing amount of attention. I met a lady last night at a party we were at, and uh, she outbeat me because she actually passed out coughing, so I haven't quite gotten to that yet. I have passed out, but that's because you can't mix NyQuil and other things together. They make strange effects on us, so Dave told me. I was a little bit late, but it's very odd waking up in the middle of the night beside the laundry hamper with your face on the floor thinking, how did I get here? It's one of those unique things. Anyway, all humor aside, here I am. I'm Dave's dad, and it's a joy to be here. I'm also... Eiler, Bell, and Lily's grandpa, and we're having Bell and Eiler over for a sleepover tonight, which will be beyond adventurous. So for those of you who don't know, my wife and I have been blessed with uh, four kids that are married, and they produce 12 kids, and nine of those little kids are between the ages of seven and one. So picture six other, five other Eilers all together at one time. <coughs> there are no words to describe it. For those of you that know those children, there are no words to describe it. But what a joy to be here this morning. Absolute joy. Um, as some of you know, uh, I think Randy and Chelsea have been, and um, Dan and Amy and a few others have been out to Steinbeck to uh, a, a real sovereign move of God that's going on in a church out there called Church Renewal, Southland Church. Nothing special about it. There's no dynamics that are very, uh, very sensational. Aside from a church that prays, isn't that odd? A church that listens to God, a church that, that just does what God wants to do. And so I was there a year ago, and I was so grateful because uh, a year ago it was minus 32 on its way down to minus 38, and I thought, that is not human. Humans should not live in Winnipeg. Um, they do, but they shouldn't. And uh, it was just so incredibly cold. So this year my wife and I went. She's from Southern California, and I thought, oh, Lord. If it's minus 38, she's not going to survive because she still likes to, she doesn't like bulky coats, they make her look fat. I didn't say that, but you know what I mean. And um, so she doesn't like to wear all these clothes that we like to wear to keep warm. Californians are a very odd breed, aren't they, Josh? They really are. And uh, so anyway, I was really worried about her going out to Winnipeg, but God smiled on us. It was like minus six in Winnipeg. That's a heat wave for them, in case you're wondering. 
But part of the follow-up to this church renewal is uh, a mentoring program that I signed up for a year ago. And every day, like we're going through this mentoring program, and part of the mentoring program, it sounded quite simple, is just um, teach a message on forgiveness. So I thought, hey, what a perfect place to do my homework with. So you are my students and my homework. How does that make you feel? Is that okay? Well, I got the surprise of my life. Because let's pick a safe passage. Let's pick Luke where Jesus says forgive seven times, you know, and if somebody comes to you. That all sounds really good, doesn't it? By the way, the heat works here. <laughs> That's an amazing system. I feel like I'm going to get sucked up into it in a minute, but um, so far we're doing okay. Um, so what I want to do is I want to read out of Luke 17, and uh, we'll read, I printed it out from the New King James just so we can follow along for those of you. Um, we're going to read the first 17 verses, and then I want to follow through with what I thought I was going to be teaching on, and you know, as you begin to practice listening to God and praying and asking God to show you by His Spirit what He wants to show you, it's amazing what He reveals that I have never seen before. And that's one of the advantages of being at this age. I thought I knew the scriptures very well, but surprise upon surprise, there's still so much more to learn in God. So let's pray, and then I'm going to read Luke 17. Father, I thank you for this time to get together this morning. Thank you for this group of brothers and sisters where we can meet on this frosty cold morning, but to enjoy the warmth of your presence and the warmth of each other that we bring because of you in us. So we welcome you, Spirit of God, to come and reveal Jesus in a greater way to each one of us. Through your word, I pray. Amen. So Luke 17, I'll be reading from the New King James Version here. Jesus says to his disciples, verse 1, It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times in a day, returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what our duty was to do. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met 10 men who were lepers, who stood afar off and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, the passage I was going to speak from was very simple. It was just going to be if, uh, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Sounds pretty straightforward. Well, surprise. As I was parked in this passage, I began to think, wow, this actually all goes together. Now, I don't know about you, but I learn a lot of Bible stories, and I learn them in segments. So I learn this story, and I learn this story, and I learn this story. But I didn't often learn them that they all kind of flow together. There's actually a theme to this. There's actually a progression of what Jesus is teaching. And sometimes I don't even get the stories right. I picture them the way they are in a little arch book or with some of these little books, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's a little bit different. And, and then, you know, well... Some of the stuff we sold as a Christian bookstore is like, ooh, well, hope I'm not accountable for that in the, in the last days, because some of it was, wow. We talk about some of this mustard seed stuff. It's like, we'll get onto that in a minute. So I'm, I'm parked in this verse, and I just felt the nudging of the Lord just saying, no, actually start at verse 1. Okay. So the first thing Jesus says is to his disciples. His disciples weren't necessarily the 10 or the 12, they were those that were actually following him, a collection of people that were following his teachings and following him on the way. And he says to them, just straight up front, it's impossible for offenses not to occur. So, good news. Every one of you, I want to tell you here at Northgate today, every one of you, if you've not been offended, and chances are you all have been, you will be offended. It's impossible for you not to be offended. We're all going to have offenses, offenses occur. But here's what he says. But woe to him through whom these offenses come. Now, I've always read this in the context of he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the religious leaders. Let's put it on them. But I got to tell you, this week when I was sitting on this, I began to just recognize what he's really saying is woe to me if I dare offend one of these young ones. Well, he's not talking about young ones like my grandkids. He's talking actually about any of those that are just beginning their journey of faith in Christ. Woe to us. It would be like a millstone. It would, it would be better if a millstone's put around your neck and you're cast into the sea. You know, that's pretty strong language. Lovely Jesus, meek and mild, is actually saying, you know, if you offend somebody, I'm gonna, it would be better if you have a millstone around your neck and you get cast uh, and thrown into the sea. That's pretty morbid. That's pretty severe judgment. And what is the offense? It's offending somebody, keeping them from him. Wow, that's an amazing challenge. It's an amazing conviction there. Woe to us. As I was looking on that, I was spent time reflexing, reflecting, and I had to tell you, like, today... I don't want to preach at you. I just want to share my testimony in this passage. And I pray that each one of you will be able to learn from stuff I've done. Some good, a lot of really stupid stuff. You know, when I was going through some situations, I got offended by the church. It affected my kids. Some of them are still affected by it. Oh, I could have defended myself, and I did. But what a cost. And I was reflecting on that, thinking, was it worth it? It wasn't. 
hmm, when I've had sinful thoughts and habits and inconsistencies in my life, don't think for a moment people don't watch you. Your kids, people around you, coworkers, watch where your eyes go. They watch how you look, how you think. Watch everything about you. I began to think of how I've offended those around me. By just not even challenging them by my lifestyle and letting them live in their sin by my own lifestyle. Wow. Woe to me. And this morning I woke up and thought, woe to me if I don't seek God and ask him what he wants to say to you today. Or if I shrink back because I don't want to say it. Woe to me. Woe to me if I offend the gospel of Jesus Christ by not speaking it truthfully. Woe to me if I, and I have, I've chosen religion and ways over loving people into the kingdom. I have been offensive. Some of us were at an event this week that was hosted by the ministry I'm with called Posture Shift. And I've never been to anything like it in my life. It's talking about how to have my convictions not change, but how to reach out to those that are struggling with gender identity, homosexuality, gay, lesbian, trans, terms I've never even heard of before. And they're struggling. How do I invite them into the kingdom, not push them away? In the past, I've been a great pusher. I've not been an inviter. And Jesus is saying, all are welcome. So he says, take heed. Take heed. And then here's the part that gets me. If your brother offends you, oh, not just once, but seven times in a day and comes back to you and says, I repent. Come on, that's annoying. Once is annoying, twice is moderately annoying, three times is just, stop doing it. So what do you do? Well, you rebuke him. How do you rebuke him? That would work, but it's not effective. What he's really saying here is rebuke them. Point out their way of what they're doing. In love, point out the error of what he's done. Share how you've been affected, how you've been offended. What I've discovered is that almost nobody purposely intends to offend. And yet all of us are offended. The enemy's greatest tool is offense. He succeeds where nothing else can by offense. So Jesus goes on and says, if he repents, forgive him. So I was sitting on that and thinking about it and thinking, how many times a day do I offend Jesus? Like, seriously. How many times a day do I just think my mind goes somewhere, or my actions go somewhere, or he asks me to do something and I'll say no? <laughs> how many times a day do I go to him and I just say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done? Does he count and say, oh, no, yep, yep, you're at seven, that's it, I'm not going to forgive you anymore today, we're, we're done, wait till tomorrow, you can use your quota then. But I was actually thinking about this and thinking every time, every time, every time I come to Jesus, every time he forgives me. So all he's saying to me is, as I've done for you, you do for others. Ooh. How many times? 
many times was it yesterday, God? And how many times am I asking for you to do it today? Model what I've done for you. I love the reply because it doesn't say the disciples. It actually says the apostles, which are a segment of his followers. These are the ones that are going to be taking his message out to the world. The apostles reply to this message and say, Oh, Lord, increase our faith. Well, I've never seen this before, and this has been part of the mentoring through church renewal. They actually challenge this statement. And where the apostles say, increase our faith. Really, what they're alluding to is we can't do this. They're not saying they need more faith. Jesus is saying, you don't need more faith. You have more than enough faith to do what I'm asking you to do. What you don't have is a willing heart to be obedient. Oh. So I brought my little mustard seeds. I just happened to have them at a retreat I was at yesterday. Like, these are really small. I don't know if you've really seen mustard seeds, but they're like the smallest. They're really small. And I think if I can just kind of role play just a bit, can you imagine Jesus saying to these like these apostles, if you have faith even that size, I think what he's really saying is like, your faith is, is minuscule. Your faith. But you, if you even had faith that small, you could say to a mulberry tree, be gone, be lifted up, be planted in the sea and it would be done. If you could do that with that amount of faith, I'm just asking you to forgive. And you say you can't do it. How small is your faith? That kind of puts a different perspective on the story. So when I was thinking about some of the stuff and the trinkets we've sold, I mean, we have all these little chains with a little mustard seed on them, and, you know, we're selling all this, and, and it's all good and sweet. But really what Jesus was using is that that was an example to say how pathetic your faith is, not how great your faith can be, it is saying that, but it's really looking at the other angle and saying, I am just asking you to forgive. And you're telling me, increase your faith, what you're really saying to me is what I'm asking you is too hard, and what I'm telling you to do, we don't have enough. And I'm telling you, if I ask you to do it, you've got enough. It's not your place to say no. It's your place to say yes. What you're really saying to me is we don't want to do it. So the Lord goes on and just says, if you have this but a grain of mustard seed, I will do this for you. Well, in the rest of the passage, in verse 7, all of a sudden you're reading this and you think, what's this have to do with the passage? I ask myself that a lot. I don't think I'm naturally a teacher. I'm naturally one like, how does this, how do you figure this out? So I'm going into verse 7 and it says, and which of you, having a servant plowing or tending a sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did these things that were commanded to him? I think not. This is Jesus. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you're commanded to do, say we're unprofitable servants. We've done what our duty was to do. Why? Did Jesus go off on that tangent? Now, my mind, I'm on tangents all the time. 
I write out notes because we wouldn't know start to finish where we'd end up if I didn't have some sort of guidelines as to where we're going. I sometimes get in the middle of a conversation like I'm doing right now and I think I don't even know where I started from. I don't know how to wrap it up and I don't know how to end it because I don't know what the original part of it was all about. But in the middle of it, it'll be the funnest story you've ever heard in your life. And then I have no idea. As a matter of fact, last night we were coming home and I looked up, see, here we go, but I got notes. We were going down the Queensway from Ottawa and it was part of Ottawa, I don't know very well, but man, I travel the Queensway every, like three times, four times a week. My wife and I are talking and I'm picturing a scene and I'm driving very safely, but all of a sudden I look around and think, I have no idea where in creation I'm going. Now I'm in Canada somewhere and I look over to the right and to the left and think, there's no traffic, I have no idea where I am. And I look at my wife and I say, I'm just having a moment right now where I have no idea where we are. And she is so, she's from LA, right? I mean, they're driven with, they're born with steering wheels in their hands. So it just mystifies her that I could not know. I didn't even know what direction I was going in. Am I going to the East End or am I going to Carlton Place? Who knows? But I'm enjoying the journey and we're having a great conversation. <laughs> Pathetic. So I regained my thoughts like I am right now, going back to this passage. And it's not like Jesus is taking a little tangent thinking, oh, by the way, we're talking about farmers. Here's a picture of Jesus that I'm going to tell you I never had. I got a picture of Jesus that, you know, I come to him and I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm screwed up. I come to Jesus, he heals me, he restores me. He's got a beautiful mansion prepared for me. Oh man, he's going to heal me. He's got this and this and this. And yes, it's like I've won the lottery because I got Jesus. And it is true, man, he loves me so much. But here's the side of Jesus that I don't hear preached. And what he's saying is, before you serve yourself, serve me. Have you ever heard that before? I, I've got, like, Lord, would you do this for me? Have you ever had your shopping list prayers in the morning? Lord, I need this, I need this. It's like going to Costco, only it's Jesus. I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And would you bless me, and please help me. And by the way, if I get a good parking spot, I really love you even more. Ah! What Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. Serve me first. And when you've done serving me, then, then serve yourself. So he says to me in this passage, he says, feed me. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what Jesus hungers for? Do you have any idea? You ever asked him? He hungers for the lost. We've never been in such a lost society. When I see the effects of abuse, the breakdown of family, kids that are struggling, adults that are struggling, Jesus is crying out for the lost. And I want him to give me something instead. Forgive me for not ever even asking you how I can feed you. Remember the original command? Jesus says to them, if they offend you, forgive them. Why would he go on this thing about the farmer? Why would he go on about just talking about if, you, if I have a need, come and feed me? Why would he go on about mustard seed? pretty unimpressive. Why would he go with this whole detail with the apostles? But Jesus actually goes back to the forgiveness part. 
And he's saying, when you have done everything I've commanded you to do. What was the original thing he commanded? Forgive. When you've done everything that I've commanded you to do, then eat yourselves. Why? See, I surrendered my life to Jesus. When I surrendered my life, I don't know if this has ever been made clear to you, but it's only getting really clear to me. I surrendered everything. I surrendered my rights. I didn't surrender them to a dictator. I surrendered him, I surrendered them to one who loved me and gave himself for me and asks that in return, I give my all to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself is what he commands us. And he says, do whatever the master asks you to do. I'm not deserving of this place. See, the servants actually said to Jesus in, this par in the parable, they said to the masters, we're not even worthy to be here. So we'll serve you. As I was writing this out, I was just thinking of part of a hymn that I loved as a kid and I still love now. It's love so amazing. Love so divine demands my heart, my life, my all. It's not my place to say no. It's not my place to even question what Jesus asks me. But Jesus goes on in telling these stories in Luke 17. And we see such a contrast between how he was talking to his disciples and then how he was talking to the apostles who said, no, Lord, we can't do it. I mean, these are the guys that have been following Jesus, right? They should know everything about him. And they've missed this. Or so it seems. So then Jesus goes on, and I love verse 11. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. No, it didn't just happen. Oh, by the way, you know, Jesus is going down the Queensway thinking, honey, where are we? That's not Jesus. That may be the way the scriptures, the way Luke records it, but it didn't just happen. And if I understand the, 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 you know, the, the way it worked here, was that on one side of the street is Samaria, and one side of the street basically is, is uh, Israel, is, is, uh, are the Jews. So you have the Samaritans, the despised ones, who have intermingled and taken on foreign gods, and there's some history of them being Jews, but they've mixed their culture, and they're absolutely despised by, by the Jews. And then on the other side, you have the Jews, the devout, the good, and the two of them are on either side of the street. And Jesus just happens to go down the middle right between the two. Doesn't that just sound like Jesus? When my kids were small, my wife, oh my gosh, the stuff she does for me. No wonder why I have no hair. She loves to drive. And three times she decided that we needed to drive to California. Oh, that's really cool. You know, I love doing that. I hate it. I hate that. Because you know what? When we get a flat tire, it's me that's got to know how to change a flat tire. I am zero on the mechanical scale. Seriously. I've never changed a flat tire in my life. And I think in the middle of the Sahara Desert or the whatever desert it is in the United States, 
I think if I dial CAA, they're not gonna come and change my tire like they do in my road, in my driveway. So I'm, I'm naturally a, I'm way more fearful than she is. And three times, she maps out this way that we're gonna drive, take five weeks. We're gonna drive, we're gonna take a van, and we're gonna drive to California. Well, there was this one time. I looked at the map and I said, honey, honey, that, that isn't even a red road on the map. That isn't even a thick red road. That's not even a thin red road. That's a gray road. That's like the Appleton side road. It's not even paved. And you wanna take us with our kids down that little gray road for 20 miles in the middle of a desert. Uh-huh. Because at the end of it are the bats. And there's six million of them that fly out of the caves at night. I don't care. I want a red road with a gas station. Oh no, oh no, we wound up going to Pecos, New Mexico. There were snakes that were crushed in L shapes on the road and we're driving through them. And I'm thinking, Jesus, just please, no flats, please. And she's, isn't this beautiful? Oh, and at the end, I'm thinking, what will be at the end of this road? I cannot imagine what is at the end of this road. Oh, it was like a Motel 6. I'm happy for anything. Does it have flush toilets and water? That's all I care about. And we're here. And then we got to go and see the bats. Yeah, fabulous. And we still have to go back down that road the next day. I tell you, some of these roads Jesus takes us on, I would never choose to go on. One time, though, when we were traveling there, we took another route through Texas. And we saw a part of the United States I never want to see. It was so real. We stayed in a place called Texarkana. And I don't mean to offend my American brothers, but... One side of the street was black, one side of the street was white. One side was Arkansas, one side was Texas. We went in the pool, we stayed on the Arkansas side because it was cheaper, we didn't know that we weren't supposed to stay on that side of the street, we were supposed to stay on the other side of the street. And the kids and I went in the pool and there were some of our black friends that were in the pool and they got out when we got in. I didn't know that was the rule. I didn't know the South was so divided still. I'm talking 30 years ago. It was so awkward, it was so weird. We just wanted to say to them, hey, we're Canadians, we don't do this deal. But they respectfully got out of the pool so we could go in. That's weird. I felt so awful. And our kids were like, why are they, why are they getting out? Why don't, why don't their kids talk to us? Oh, divides you do. So Jesus walks right through the middle. Getting back on track. You thought I wasn't, but I am. <laughs> he walks right through the middle. And at the end, wasn't a village with bats in it. It was a village with lepers. And the beautiful thing about the lepers is they were Jews and Samaritans together because their common bond was they were broken, they were cast away, they were despised. But Jesus entered into their village. Oh, come on, I gotta tell you, I love this about Jesus. He didn't say, I'm not going to that village, I'm not going here. He goes to the worst village. He doesn't go to the Samaritans. He doesn't go to the Jews. He goes to the worst one where people don't go because you don't go there. They're lepers. They're cast out. They're the worst of the worst. They're, they're disgustingly ugly to look at. Their voices don't work. So even as he goes there, the lepers call out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. They're desperate in, his, in their need of his mercy and he hears them. I love that about Jesus. Verse 14 says, and so when he saw them, he said to them, Jesus saw them. 
Nobody looks a leper. Jesus did. And he says to them, go show yourself to the priests. Well, remember the earlier instructions? Forgive? No, Lord, we can't do that. We can't do that. We need more faith. And these were his followers. He goes to the lepers, the castaways that nobody wants, who have cried out to him and say, have mercy. He goes to them. And he says, go and show yourself to the priests. You don't see any scripture record saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the right way of doing it. We're supposed to be healed first and then go to the priest, and the priest will verify we're healed. Because that's what's supposed to happen. But instead, Jesus says, go to the priest. And um, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Okay, here's the crazy thing about that. They didn't argue. They didn't say we need more faith. Jesus said, go, and they went. And as they went, they were healed. If you forget everything else that I say, aside from a good, funny story, if you forget every bit of the message, remember this. When Jesus says to do something, and you do it, there will be more accomplished in your life than you've ever dreamed of. Were they expecting to be healed just because they obeyed? And here's the crazy thing. The story goes on. The one man looks at himself and says, I'm healed. So he turns around. He goes back to Jesus and he shouts, leprosy affects your voice. Many of them whispered because that's all they could do. Now he shouts, I'm free. I'm healed. A little charismatic for you this morning? Let it be. He falls on his face before Jesus and says, I'm cleansed. I'm healed. You had mercy on me. I don't deserve it, but you had mercy on me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Jesus looks at him and said, weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? The one foreigner, the despised of the despised of the despised, came back and worshipped Jesus. So he says to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Did he need more faith? No. What did he do? He had obedience. Jesus said, go. Didn't question didn't understand, seemed crazy. <laughs> Pass. I wasn't expecting this passage to mess with me. And I pray it messes with you as well. Because we need to see the truth of what the gospel is really like. It's not about me being served here. Yeah, I'm going to have a great name. And I want to tell you that that's primarily why I came to faith in Christ, so I wouldn't go to hell. I had no idea it was about loving and serving Jesus. I had no idea it was about obedience. When Jesus 
warns us to not offend. Woe to you. In English. And some of you, like me, are holding on to offenses that are causing great harm to you and to the little ones around you. I want to tell you it's not worth it. It's not worth holding on to. He's asking you to forgive as you've been forgiven. Do they deserve to be forgiven? No. Probably not. But you deserve to offer forgiveness and let them be with you. Forgive because you have been forgiven in Christ like I have been. He loved me and gave himself for me. I don't deserve anything but what he's given me. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in my body. I don't remember many movies. I don't know if you do. People say, did you see this movie? Did you see this? Eesh, I see some of these. I see the odd ones. I saw two popes. That was really phenomenal. Like, that was phenomenal. It's like, wow, I didn't know much about the culture. That was really good. But one that really has impacted me since I first saw it was Les Mis. The part where Jean um, Valdez, Valdez, whatever, he uh, he's forgiven, and the priest says to him, "Now go. I have bought you with a price. Now go." And I think that's probably about the clearest picture I've ever seen of what Jesus has done for me. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. Now go. Live differently. Live all for me. Serve him first, not ourselves. For our cry is much like those, the lepers and those in the field. We are unworthy servants. But you've invited us in. If it's hard for you to trust, and for many of us it is, you don't get trust first. You get obedience first. And out of obedience flows trust. Trust doesn't flow out of obedience. Obedience flows out of, I mean, trust flows out of obedience, but you're not going to get trust first before you get to obey. Don't question God. What's he asking you to do? that you think you have a right to say no to? You don't need more faith. You need to see how much he loves you and how much he wants to heal you and restore you and teach you trust and to show you obedience and the fruit of obedience. Just do it. I've found in the last four or five years that God is asking me to do stuff that sometimes they'll look at me and think, who am I? But every time I look back and think, wow, thank you so much. I love Jesus for so many reasons. And I'm, I'm growing in my love for him more and more every day. He's impartial to the rich. He's impartial to the poor. He's impartial to the Jew, impartial to the Samaritan impartial to the leper in the sense that he doesn't distinguish 
He loves us all. Here's her cry. And his kingdom is for all of us. And then kind of wrapping up part of the message, I actually want to take an awkward minute. I say awkward because it could be worse and we could be fine. But I want to take approximately a minute. And I want you, in the silence of this minute, to just tell God something you're grateful for. When was the last time you just told him how grateful you are for him? When was the last time you just told him you love him? Don't have any need. Or dare even in this minute to say, Jesus, how can I feed you? What do you want? And I'll pray. And we'll wrap up. So let's have the awkward minute. our focus keep it on Jesus but we're going to focus on the cross what Jesus did for us during that quiet time there I was just picturing Jesus when he's on the cross and Peter's denying him and he looked down at Peter and caught his gaze I love that about and I was thinking that there's times where ourselves, we feel like we've either denied Jesus or failed Jesus. And he just looks at us. He doesn't cast away his gaze. He looks right at us, like he did with those loved ones. He saw them. So there's Jesus on the cross and all the agony of what he's going through. Peter's denying him. And Jesus looks at us. That's our Jesus.
loves us so much that he gave his body willingly that you and I might be free. His blood poured out so that every sin we've ever committed and every sin we've ever had committed against us, every offense he took on himself from the cross so we don't have to carry it anymore. We can be free. We're going to uh, worship and Dave's going to give Northgate instructions as to how to communion part and then we'll come back. Sure. Sure.